You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Call Me By Your Name, which came out in 2017 and was directed by Luca Guadagnino. It stars Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer, Michael Stuhlbarg, Amira Cesar, and Esther Garel. The genre would be love story slash coming-of-age drama. Ah. Look at this. Good morning. You're very welcome here. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you kiss me Oh, well, what does And when you least expect it Nature has cunning ways of finding our weakest spot. Call me by your name, rated R. After having now finally seen this, I finally get it about Timothy Chalamet. Which is not to say that I ever saw him anything less than a strong actor overall. But I guess after having seen him in a few other films like Lady Bird, Dune, Little Women, I didn't quite see him as someone who could truly command the screen. Now granted, most of those performances were not leads. But still, when a budding star just has that particular star charisma quality, like a Brad Pitt in Thelma and Louise, Michael B. Jordan more recently in Chronicle, you just take notice of them no matter how little screen time they're given. And even though he had co-starred in some big movies, loaded with other stars like Don't Look Up or Interstellar or Dune, Chalamet just really wasn't grabbing me as an actor, as a performer. Until now. Timothy Chalamet was justifiably nominated for Best Actor for this film, and I'm guessing he didn't win, likely because of his age, and Gary Oldman, of course. Great actor, of course. Make no mistake, though, because he should have won, because he is phenomenal in this coming-of-age tale of love and heartbreak. He plays Elio, a talented 17-year-old aspiring musician living with his parents in Italy in 1983. His father, played by the irreplaceable Michael Stuhlbarg, is an archaeologist who studies artifacts around northern Italy. His father, of course, is also a professor, who also takes in one grad student every summer to live with them, to study, and of course, to enjoy Italy. This summer, that grad student is Oliver, played by Army Hammer, in a very strong performance that is very effectively under the surface for roughly the first two-thirds of the movie. Oliver is very sure of himself from the get-go, which helps draw Elio in, whereas Elio is fiercely intelligent, which helps draw Oliver in. That sounds different. Did you change it? Well, I changed it a little bit. Why? I just played it the way List would have played it if he'd altered box version. Play that again. Play what again? The thing you played outside. Oh, you want me to play the thing I played outside? Please. Ah. I can't believe you changed it again. Oh, I changed it a little bit. Yeah, why? I just played it the way Buzzoni would have played it if he'd altered Liszt's version. And what is wrong with Bach, the way Bach would have played Bach's Bach? Bach never wrote it for the guitar. In fact, we're not even sure Bach wrote Forget it. Forget I asked. Both of them being absurdly good-looking guys with common interests, a mutual attraction develops. And this being 1983, that attraction is held at bay for a while, and mostly obscured by them chasing away after young Italian ladies. 
Of course, it becomes harder for Elio as he is just drawn to Oliver. And off the bat, Oliver does seem to be expressing his attraction via some sly physical acts. Oliver always seems very eager to tend to him, take care of him. It's very much your typical romantic dance developing between them. And through both lead performances and the sharply structured screenplay from James Ivory, which he won an Oscar for, this is all developed organically and realistically given the time that this is taking place. And all of this is set amidst a gorgeous backdrop of Lombardy, Italy. Green-covered mountains, mostly unpaved streets, colorful fruit orchards, old cafes. Wow. Thanks to lush photography from DP cinematographer Sayumbu Mukdipram, this movie almost feels like an Italian travelogue initially. And you just can't help but want to be there, bicycling all over with these guys. And director Luca Guadagnino just draws you into the story deliberately, with one key trick being his reliance on many long shots outdoors. Even during scenes when Elio and Oliver are having consequential conversations. Unlike most versions of this type of romantic story, there are very few close-ups, or even two shots, with just the two characters dominating the frame. It's a unique approach, and it definitely comes through in one particular scene, which I'm going to talk about a bit later. And from their various interactions, along with some subtle verbal back and forth, Oliver and Elio take their attraction further and develop genuine feelings for each other. God, we wasted so many days. Why didn't you give me a sign? I did. You didn't give me a sign? I did. When it went. You remember when we were playing volleyball and I touched you? Just to show you that I liked you. And the way you reacted made me feel like I molested you. Sorry. No, it's fine. I just decided I should keep my distance. The love scenes have a sincere, sometimes awkward feel about them. And it just becomes clear that even if this is just amounting to a summer fling for both of these guys, they really just enjoy each other's company. Music, swimming, examining ruins, eating breakfast. I mean, no joke. Italy itself is just such a key part of this movie and the whole vibe. So, of course, this kind of story just would not work as well in, say, early 1980s Detroit. Despite limited time, Oliver is going home after six weeks. We can clearly see the emotional hold that this relationship takes on Elio, this being his first love. And that's where Call Me By Your Name derives its real power. Seeing the heartbreak that we know is coming for Elio which he kind of sees coming too, even though it still hits him like a ton of bricks when Elio has to leave. Of course, the way this film concludes does not work nearly as well as it does without a monologue given by Stolberg, which is just lights out incredible. It almost feels stagey with regards to what he's actually saying, basically laying out the thesis of the movie, but not in the hands of a top-flight actor like Stolberg, whom I have just adored ever since seeing him in his breakout starring role in The Coen Brothers' A Serious Man, from about 12 years ago. Very different kind of role, but he just kills it. And here, he's playing a very warm, empathetic father, who is surprisingly, at least for the time, for the early 80s, accepting of his homosexual son. And beyond just accepting him, he's also telling him how it's okay to feel the hurt emotions that he's feeling, not to try to brush them aside. My place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but I am not such a parent. We rip out so much of ourselves to be cured of things faster that we go bankrupt by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new. But to make yourself feel nothing 
so as not to feel anything but a waste. And by the time that the credits have rolled, it's clear that Call Me By Your Name is more than just a love story. It's one of the great coming-of-age stories with a running theme of empathy that could not be more relevant. That brings me to the categories. The first category is the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Even though there is minimal score throughout Call Me By Your Name, whatever we hear is quite effective. It's entirely piano-based and composed by Suf John Stevens, who is a singer, songwriter, slash composer who hails from Detroit, speaking of Detroit. Suf John also supervised the soundtrack, which includes some original songs performed by him. One standout is Visions of Gideon, which is a breezy ballad, which we actually hear over the end credits, over some very emotional, memorable imagery of Chalamet, which I will get to later. And I have kissed you for the last time Visions of Gideon Visions of Gideon And nothing against Sufjan's vocals and production, which are quite lovely, but for me... The biggest standout from the soundtrack occurs during a critical moment early on and takes us way back to 1982, which saw the release of one of the most iconic movies and soundtracks of that era. It also makes perfect sense that a gathering of free-spirited young Northern Italians would be having an outdoor dance party DJed with this type of music on one hot summer night in 1983. The movie was Flashdance, and the song is Lady, Lady, Lady a lovely synth ballad from pop singer Joe Esposito and produced by electronic music legend Giorgio Moroder. Esposito did his share of film soundtracks throughout the 80s, most notably performing You're the Best for The Karate Kid. Remember that song? And Moroder? I mean, wow, this guy's music just defined the 80s in a manner that few other composers can claim. Basically, if there was a Mount Rushmore for that distinct 80s synthesizer sound, it would include Harold Faltemeyer, Tangerine Dream, Van Jellies, and him. Besides Flashdance, he produced music for Top Gun, American Gigolo, and one of my personal favorite scores from that era, Scarface. And here's the kicker. In pretty much every case that I can recall, his music was actually significantly better than the movie in which it was featured, including the clunky, but yes, somewhat entertaining Flashdance. Well, that is not the case here as we hear Lady, Lady, Lady being played at that outdoor dance party as Elio and Oliver are just getting to know each other. Oliver is slow dancing on stage with one of the local ladies, who is clearly smitten with him, and Elio is sitting back with some of his local friends, just smoking and admiring. But as the bridge of the song kicks in, the camera mostly closes in on Elio, just staring at the dance floor, most likely at Oliver. His eyes are wide open, and he just looks mostly fascinated. It's the kind of moment which could come off as creepy in lesser hands, but not the subtle way Chalamet's playing it. And it is certainly helped by hearing such romantic music overhead. Me too. 
And that brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I honestly don't want to get into this too much as we have seen this trend post Me Too movement over the past several years, where very disturbing things have come out regarding various celebrities and their sexual exploits. More pointedly, how they have mistreated others. And just for the record, I feel that this movement has been 100% completely necessary. A long overdue correction needed for several industries, not just the entertainment industry, where mostly men at various levels of power and fame have been doing very reprehensible things to those who work with them or below them. It's not about being, quote, canceled. It's about accountability. Sorry for getting on my soapbox. And along those lines, I do not feel any sympathy for what has happened with Army Hammer since this movement really kicked in about five years ago. Meaning, what has come out about him and how apparently, at least for the time being, his roles and opportunities have dried up as a result. He did what he did, and now he's dealing with the consequences. Regardless, as someone who has really enjoyed him as an actor since his breakout role in The Social Network 12 years ago, playing the Winklevoss twins, he's so great in that, and other notable performances in Sorry to Bother You, The Underrated Man from Uncle, and of course this performance. I find it all very disappointing. He has fantastic chemistry with Chalamet and just brings so much nuance to a pretty complicated character. Now, the story is definitively not about Oliver, and we can often feel skeptical of his intentions at times, but we still feel for him. His feelings for Elio do seem legit. So watching Hammer in this... It just pisses me off all the more, witnessing again how strong of an actor he is. And yes, what he has done, allegedly, to potentially throw that all away, that is the definition of wasted talent. And that brings us to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, I mentioned earlier how there were very few close-ups or two-shots. There's a lot of long shots with these two characters. This was an interesting choice that I was not sure I initially liked, but it made more sense as the story progressed. And you see it perfectly come to fruition in one standout sequence about a third of the way through the movie when both guys have biked to a World War I memorial in town. They both just park their bikes and are walking around circling this monument. When it comes upon Elio, he expresses his feelings towards Oliver. Now, not much is said, but just enough. Oliver gently shoots him down and also makes it clear that they just should not be talking about this stuff out loud. You do get the sense with Oliver's body language that he wishes he could say more. And yet during all of this, even as they walk closer to each other, the camera never closes in on either of them, still keeping this monument in the frame, which honestly just looks like a big carved out rock, but it does have a lot of importance. In the wrong hands, just the whole way this critical scene is framed could come off as remote or pretentious. And along those lines, apparently the way it was filmed was heavily influenced by Eric Romer and the French New Wave of Cinema from the 1960s. I mean, just saying that in and of itself probably makes me sound pretentious. And trust me, I don't pretend to know anything about the French New Wave beyond basic surface attributes, though I would love to learn at some point. But it all works really well here because it serves the story and these characters. It helps to see their environment how they inhabit that space, and how their relative geography in relation to each other shifts during this conversation. It's all mainly one shot, but not in a showy way. And there's no score. Everything is eye level, and you just feel like you are right there observing them. Is there anything you don't know? I know nothing, Oliver. Well, you seem to know more than anybody else around here. Well, if you only knew how little I know about the things that matter. What things that matter? 
You know what things. Why are you telling me this? Because I thought you should know. Because you thought I should know? Because I wanted you to know? Because I wanted you to know. I mean, I am as much of a sucker for a typical movie romance as anyone. But after being bred for decades on mostly manipulative close-ups, bombastic and or cutesy scores, flat sitcom lighting, and just a general framing that bashes you on the head again and again, basically saying, these two belong together. I have to say that I found this approach not only engrossing, but refreshing. And for a prime example of the tired shtick that I just cited, see Love Actually. And now the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now back to the way that this film concludes. Man, just watching Chalamet's face and demeanor towards the end, it just broke me all the way through the end credits, which literally stay focused on his face. Yeah, that's Guadagnino taking his filmmaking approach the opposite route from the one mentioned previously, but he clearly knows what he's doing with that last shot. There's no pulling back from the emotion by that point. And gratefully, he has a very confident young talent like Timothy to pull this off. It's seriously one of the great endings of its type, which you can only pull off with someone who can just dominate the screen. It kind of reminds me of those single-shot POVs at the closing of Michael Clayton with George Clooney or Jackie Brown with Pam Greer, looking directly into the camera. The ending of this film and the two-plus hours leading up to it simply would not work without such a brilliant collaboration between actor and director. And for that reason, Luca Guadagnino and Tim Chalamet are your MVPs. Every movie, uh, it's a love story between the directors and, and, and his or her actors. And if there wasn't a, a very deep, very strong uh, uh, feeling of love that I sh had for them, to the degree of attraction, I would say, that could sublimate on screen, I don't think we would have achieved, at least myself, what I was looking forward to. My rating for Call Me By Your Name would be five stars out of five. I'm not sure why I waited five years to finally see this movie, but I'm grateful that I finally did. Just a beautiful film, which deserves to be savored on the biggest screen possible. And if nothing else, it will certainly make you want to go to Italy. If you're looking to watch Call Me By Your Name, it is available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another scenic review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.